Good morning. It's great to see everybody here on Labor Day weekend. Recalling, reminding you we are ending a four-week sermon series. We've been looking at the Nicene Creed, the Creed of the Church. And a few weeks ago began with, I believe in God the Father, and spoke of the following week, I believe in God the Son, and I believe in the Holy Spirit a week ago. And Tyler is away in California on some uh, well-earned rest with his wife and Lydia, just one out of the five children with them. That must be nice. And um, so I have the privilege to uh, wrap up our sermon series this morning on uh, the Creed. And this last piece is, uh, uh, we kind of shift gears. We go from up there, or uh, from the Godhead down to us. What about us? What is our relationship to this wonderful God who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit? And so we have an amazing sentence of the Creed. It wasn't there in 325 when the Nicene Creed was first designed and written um, in Nicaea, somewhere in Turkey, that, that small town, where bishops from one church gathered from the worldwide Roman Empire from all corners of the Mediterranean from north, south, east, and west, and gathered in Nicaea. It was uh, not 325, but 381 in Constantinople, not too much, not far away geographically, kind of the the center of Christian um, uh, events in the fourth century. And at this council in Constantinople, 70 years later, all these bishops gathered again. And uh, Here we have added this line to the creed, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And most of these lines of the creed were written to give clarity as well as correction to the early church community of the first few centuries. And so um, we have this interesting, um, you might say debate, except there's not much debate about it, about uh, us and them and those and um, others kind of thing. Roman Catholics, for example, believe that one holy Catholic and apostolic church is only to be applicable to the Roman Catholic church. They are the one true church of Christ. does not include groups that separated from them during the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. The Eastern Orthodox Church, in many ways more ancient than the Roman Catholic Church, in that it has not diverted from its way of the first ten centuries, the Eastern Orthodox Church disagrees with the Roman Catholic Church and regards itself as the historical and organic continuation of the original church founded by Christ and his apostles. And of course, those who are Protestants, whether Baptist or Lutheran or Presbyterians or Anglicans, that is, Episcopalians, we know we're right, and all of them are wrong. We must be the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. So who is right? And what I want to say to you this morning, none of them is right, nor anyone else who claims that their institution is the one true church. That may be offensive to some Episcopalians or some Roman Catholics worshiping here today or some Baptists or others who say, well, I really know the true church is down the street over there kind of thing. 
None of them are right. There is not any institution that is the true church. Well, let's look at this in a little bit more uh, specific fashion and remind ourselves, first of all, what does one holy Catholic apostolic mean? And one is as simple as that word. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. The church is one. There's only one Lord. And there's only one faith to be believed. And there's only one baptism with water in the name of the Trinity. There's only one God. There's only one Father who is over all. And holy, well, it certainly doesn't mean that those who are of the holy church are the more perfect ones. We can look to the left and right or especially look inward, look at ourselves and say, well, I don't feel very holy sometimes. So what can it mean to be part of the holy church? And it means you and I have been set apart for a special task and purpose. We may bungle it at times. We may blow it at times. But we're called to get back up because we have a special task and a special purpose for our lives. As I prayed earlier today at the beginning of this service, or quoted, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Not to earn salvation, of course. Not to get right with God. But there is something naturally and innate in us that says we are made for a labor, but it is to be a labor of love and gratitude for what God has done for us. We are God's workmanship that God has prepared for us beforehand. He's known from before the time you were born that he had a task and purpose for your life. Multiple task and purpose. Perhaps to be single, perhaps to be married and serve a husband or wife, perhaps to have children, perhaps all the ways you can fill that out. You have a particular and special purpose for your life. And then the word Catholic, which sometimes is a tripping up stone for some. Sometimes it's spelled with a capital, I mean with a small c to try to distinguish what is meant here as we wrestle and struggle with, well, who is the Catholic Church? It really primarily and essentially means that uh, there is the church universal the one holy universal church it pronounces the universality of the church everywhere in time and everywhere in space it is the wholeness and totality of all believers all true believers in Jesus and there are no limits to how you can define that Catholicism Because it stands from the time Jesus came and it will stand until his return, the church universal. It's why in my own personal fashion, I usually refer to the Roman Catholic Church as the Roman Church, as others do as well, rather than the Catholic Church. Because I'm a Catholic, but I'm not a member of the Roman Church. Catholic for us who are Anglicans means all the churches that are the body of Christ, not merely the Roman church. It includes them, but it's not exclusive to them. And finally, that wonderful word, apostolic. 
one holy Catholic apostolic church. Our origins and our beliefs are rooted in the first century teachings of the apostles as they received it from Jesus himself, handed on personally from the Lord Jesus to the twelve and to St. Paul, who was one, as he said, untimely born, but got on board and got it. And we have that wonderful New Testament of letters and gospels that expresses that teaching and carries it forward to us to this day. So that continuity in the church's teaching is to have an unbroken, unqualified quality about it. Not to have further revelation so much as Jesus is the final revelation. It actually puts Muhammad aside from the 7th century. He is not a further revelation. It puts Joseph Smith aside, the Mormon leader from the 19th century, and says, no, they who declare themselves as a further revelation cannot be, because Jesus is the last word and the final word. And the apostles carry his teaching forward until his return. Well, brief as that may be, I really want to focus on this word, church, this morning and spend a little bit more time here. What is the church that we believe in? What is the one holy Catholic apostolic church that we believe in? Well, we know what it is not. It is not a building, although it has been mistaken for that at times. And it is not a destination. I'm going to church this morning. It is not a denomination. It is neither Baptist, nor Presbyterian, nor Roman, nor Episcopalian. It is not, in other words, an institution. So what is the church that we believe in, that we have professed in faith for 1,700 years? What did Jesus give to the world about 2,000 years ago that will be here on earth until he returns. Because we know buildings come and go. Destinations to church come and go. Shoot, St. Paul's has had three different locations in her 280-year history, starting on the banks of the Stono River, residing now in St. Paul's uh, here in Somerville. Buildings come and go. Destinations come and go. Denominations come and go. They will come and go. And institutions come and go. What then is the true church of Jesus Christ? It's an important question to answer because it determines your ultimate loyalty as a Christian. Is your ultimate loyalty to an institution or is it to a person? We are often tempted at times to replace the person with the institution and make that our primary loyalty for one reason or another. Priests and pastors are especially tempted or seduced by that if that institution gives them more authority and more power as they grow into larger churches, as they finally put on the purple shirt and preside over other churches. And so protecting the institution at all costs becomes ultimately self, um, uh, taking care of oneself. 
So what is the church? From the creed of the fourth century, identified by the gathered bishops at Constantinople, 381 A.D., the church is from the Greek and from the New Testament, and it's ekklesia, that Greek word. And ekklesia means the called out, called together ones. Taken out from the world, brought together under Jesus. So you can say the church that we believe in is the ecclesia of the New Testament in the first century, which are the called out, called together ones. That's translating that word ecclesia, called out, called together ones. It is truly, what is it? The body of Christ today and in every age. The body he left here on earth. I want to share with you some marvelous quotations from a fine, fine scholar, Emil Bruner of the 1950s was when he was writing these thoughts. I've shared them with you before, but I want to bring them back to the forefront today, particularly in our own time of wrestling with denominations and wrestling with decisions and speaking of this creedal statement that we have here. And Bruner will say this about the New Testament ecclesia. He, simply, he calls it simply the fellowship of Jesus Christ. He means by that that New Testament word fellowship meaning koinonia, an intimate quality of rich authentic relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. The fellowship of Jesus Christ is the New Testament church, the ecclesia, and it is simply a pure communion of people. That's it. It doesn't have anything else attached to it. A pure communion of persons, and Emil Brunner went on to say, warning that it might cause offense in the 1950s, and it no doubt did, and might as well today. And that church, that ecclesia, that called out, called together one body of Christ, has nothing of the character of an institution about it. So then he will go on to say, Jesus did not found the church. Jesus gathered around himself a circle of disciples of such as were specially related to him. I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. As were specially related to him, followers, friends, and whom he especially equipped, Holy Spirit anointing. Stay and wait in Jerusalem, don't leave until the Spirit comes, specially equipped for a purpose. For we are God's workmanship sent out then in His service to do good works. So what we share in common in the body of Christ is no thing. It's no it. It's no denominational identity. What we share in common as the body of Christ and the church is a He, Jesus and His Holy Spirit. So this is what we have, a fellowship of Christ Jesus, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and fellowship 
First John writes, John writes in First John, in fellowship one with another. It's a union of the divine and the human, the vertical with the horizontal, in an utterly unparalleled life. It's nothing like a Rotary Club or a Shriners organization. It's nothing like an institution. A fellowship, a personal fellowship with you in Christ Jesus in the power of his Holy Spirit and one with one another as we gladly know and experience here in this family. So where is the true church, the authentic church to be found if it's not to be found as an institution? First and above all, it is found where the word of Christ is proclaimed. It is anchored in the word of Christ. And that word testifies to the action of God, the personal caring of God, the gift of God, especially the gift of his son and of the cross, and especially the promise of life eternal. Where the, holy, where the, the word of Christ is authentically proclaimed, the anchor of the body of the fellowship, and the church is where the Holy Spirit is evident, where he is authentically, truly alive and active. Bruner writes, the Holy Spirit proves the church's reality. I've seen it here, this proof. It's so lovely and so beautiful. Bruner writes, proves the church's reality through the testimony of love. Other-centered caring rather than self-centered caring. Through the inner peace he speaks of to those who know of their reconciliation with God and freely and happily refer to him as Father in heaven, our Father who art in heaven, and the peace that accompanies that reconciliation and that relationship. Through the evidence, Bruner writes, of unfailing joy. I've seen it, even in the midst of sorrow. I've seen it among you. Unfailing joy, even in the midst of sorrow. The world cannot, cannot manufacture that. This is Holy Spirit work. He goes on to say, and through the power that knits together the believers in unity. People of completely different walks of life, different colors, different races, different social status, and yet they enjoy a remarkable unity and simply say, well, this is my brother. This is my sister, the CEO to the daily laborer. Well, this is my brother. We work together through the week in one way or another. Through their ready sympathy, Bruner writes, sympathy with the distresses and needs of others. We make repeated trips to Honduras and to Haiti, Haiti particularly seems so hopeless. It's like pouring water into a bucket that doesn't have a hole in it. And it is really the Christians that you see on the big 747 airliners going down to Haiti when we fly down there. It's filled with Christian groups from various walks and places of the United States going there to pour more water in until somehow God somehow breaks in and makes that bottom solid and the bucket begins to fill up. 
sympathy with the distresses and needs of others. Of course, it happens locally with our own neighbors right here. And finally, Bruner says, a characteristic of the reality of the Holy Spirit proving himself, the willingness, and I would add, the glad willingness to make personal sacrifices in imitation of the sacrifice of Christ. That is the church, where there's love, peace, joy, power, sympathy, and glad sacrifice in his name. And that's it. Institutions that we call churches or denominations are not this creedal church that is being written about. There was no denominationalism in the 4th century. There was only the ecclesia, the called out, called together ones. It's our own misbehavior through the ages that has caused alienation, separation, created these institutions. But remember that these institutions are merely a shell built up over 2,000 years in which the precious kernel, the body of Christ, is contained and preserved. So where does that leave us today? I believe we can say something like this. A quotation from Bill Hybels of Willow Creek. He says, the local church is the hope of the world. Forget about structures. Forget about dioceses and national this and national that. I believe Bill Hybels has hit the nail on the head with his identification and understanding of what the body of Christ is, the local church. It's you and me. We're the hope of the world. Not what gets passed at a convention, not what gets uh, sent out as a resolution from a convention. That's some institutional behaviors that may do some good and may not do any good at all or may even be detrimental. But you and I, we are the local church. We are the hope of the world. It's God's plan and God's purpose. So we can expand, and I'm going to close on this, we can expand on the creedal statement and say this, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, but say it this way, apostolic ecclesia, which is the body of believers of Jesus Christ, empowered by his Holy Spirit, living in gospel love with one another, and serving God's world from a local home base called My Church, connected to tens of thousands of other home bases around the world, and from every race of people, authentically and truly alive and well, until Jesus returns. Don't you want to belong to a church like that?